Hi, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to be talking with Molly Pennington about the six best astrology books for beginner, intermediate, and advanced students of astrology. Uh, so, hey, Molly, thanks for joining me today. Hi, Chris. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, this is a little bit of an impromptu uh, discussion, but so the setup is that you are doing an assignment for Reader's Digest where you're putting together a list of uh, the best astrology books according to different experts on astrology. And you asked me if um, we could do an interview for that list. And I decided to do it, but thought we would just like record it for possible use on the podcast at the same time. So that's kind of the setup here. Um, could you tell me a little bit about what you're doing with your list? Yeah. And I just want to specify this is for readersdigest.com. And the list is going to be, uh, say, 10 to 12 titles. And the my editors asked for or recommended that maybe it be divided into books that are good for beginners and then those that are at the intermedi- intermediate level, and then also moving into to advanced. Okay, brilliant. And you've already done uh, one or two other lists in the past? Uh, this is going to be, depending on when it's published, my third or fourth um, article on astrology for for Reader's Digest. For many years, I've worked as a as a freelance writer, and I've written. I think um, it's safe to say hundreds of articles for online and, and print magazines. But but I'm new new to writing about astrology, and I'm very very excited to do so because I just fell in love with this topic um, about eighteen months ago, maybe a little bit more. Okay, perfect. Well, this is good timing then. And your website is uh, MollyPennington.com, right? Yes. Okay, cool. Um, well, I'll put a link to your article once it's out. If I do release this as a video on the website, I'll put a link to it uh, in the description page, either below this video or in the podcast website, so people can find out more information and see the final list with everything you put on it. Uh, but why don't we go ahead and jump into it with my first recommendation, which is um, a book I just discovered actually a few years ago in Barnes and Noble, which is titled. Astrology Using the Wisdom of the Stars in Your Everyday Life by Carol Taylor. And I actually interviewed her last summer and we did an episode on aspect doctrine or, or aspect patterns together. But this is just a really brilliant, comprehensive intro to astrology book that's extremely well illustrated. And that's one of the things I like about it the most is not just that it's comprehensive, but that um, it's kind of easily digestible, and the graphic designer that she worked with in order to do the layout for the book just did an extremely brilliant job designing this book um, in order to make the content a little bit more understandable and easy to grasp through visual means. And that's one of the reasons why this is actually my favorite intro to astrology book that I've been recommending for the past few years. Yeah, I'm so glad that you mentioned this one because it's um it's one of my favorites and it's actually something that I somehow or- organically got my hands on and it was something that I read very early and just fell in love with because it really does make um the topics uh accessible somehow. Um and and, and yet it's not really um necessarily not um deep it, it gets into everything that you kind of need to know. Things like um, aspects, which were very complicated for me at the beginning, and um, and and it makes them e- easy to understand. And in fact, I begged my mother to get this this book so that we could have conversations <laughs> about astrology and our charts. I love that. Yeah, uh, it's very 
even though it's comprehensive, she touches on just about every topic in astrology so that you get a very broad overview, but also somehow it's still very concise. It's not like a super dense book in the sense of some of the other books on my list will be more wordy and will be like long paragraphs of very dense prose text. Um, but this is actually much more concise and much more manageable. There's also a lot of um, interpretive material, so you can look up your own birth chart placements and then use this book in order to understand what those placements mean and get some basic interpretations, which is just very crucial when you're in the early stages of learning astrology. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, so um, this is my favorite intro to astrology book at this point. Um, it does deal with the fourfold system primarily of the planets, the and their their meanings or significations, the signs of the zodiac, uh, the twelve signs and their meanings, and then the doctrine of aspects, which is like configurations or relationships between planets, and then finally the doctrine of the twelve houses, which is the twelve sectors or areas of life that deal with different topics or different people in a person's life, um, as well as different things like career or friends or travel or things like that. So her book is primarily dedicated to sort of explicating that system from more of a, I would say, modern astrological standpoint. She does have some influence from some traditional astrology and definitely more of a British influence because Carol's from the UK, but for the most part, I think it represents a pretty good um, intro to what we would call modern or sort of contemporary astrology that's been developed over the past century uh, in the West. Okay. Yeah, I, I remember that from when I was was first learning that I would look at a chart, um, and it 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 just seemed um, really like a different language, which is what it was. And I, I would just want to kind of confer with what or concur with precisely what you're saying that the way she lays everything out suddenly as you go through just step by step by step, you're able to see. I was able to see into charts and see into the wide the wide array of the different the different subjects and topics, planets, houses, etc. Yeah, and I think you know one of the things that's important is that everybody once they decide to sit down and actually learn astrology at this point in time, um, your primary thing is is first getting a copy of your birth chart from like a reliable website like astro.com or from um, there's a another website called AstroSeek that's becoming very popular over the past few years, and that I also recommend uh, getting a copy of your birth chart from that, and then. Sitting down with a book like this and going through it is usually most people's primary access point for learning that language of astrology. And you used the term, you know, language, which is a really good analogy to use here because astrology is like learning a language because it has its own alphabet with the the symbols for the different planets and the signs of the zodiac, and then it has different ways of putting those together to form words and sentences. When you're reading like a birth chart, so it really is like learning a new language in some sense. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. Especially um, with the glyphs and with the symbols, um, that when you, when you first look, you really don't know what 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 those mean, and you need a good solid introduction so that you're able to to put all of the different pieces together. Yeah, and so that's one of the reasons I like this book because it's not too dense and too overwhelming, and that's something I, wor I worry about sometimes for new people is that astrology is already something that's so vast, it's, it's something that people spend, they dedicate their entire lives to studying it and still only 
are able to master like some piece of this really vast subject or vast field. And so when you're first getting into astrology, if you end up with the wrong book or you end up with a book that's too advanced, it's very easy to feel overwhelmed and maybe like this isn't for you if you get kind of like turned away by an overly dense book or something like that. So that's one of the reasons why this is a good book, just because I think it's approachable for just about everybody for the most part. Yes. It it also uh it has a friendly vibe. It's a it's very inviting. I think you mentioned the artwork and the graphic design. Um, but it really does have this um very inviting feel that kind of um pulls you in without intimidation. Yeah, for sure. And it does touch also very briefly on things like the history or some bits of the philosophy of astrology. For the most part, though, it's more of a practical book. And in the later parts of the book, it's divided into this section on understanding yourself and looking at different topics that people are usually interested in historically when it comes to uh, looking at their birth chart. Like, this is what you'd look for for career matters, or this is what you'd look at for relationships, or this is what you'd look at for education and travel or something. Um, and I think that's important as well because different people approach astrology or learn astrology for different reasons. And sometimes most books will approach it from like one angle, whereas this kind of gives you a little bit of everything. So there's there's something for everyone. Yeah, you're right. Um I, I am recalling now that section at the end. You um are introduced to all of the tools and then uh she offers a range of different ways to apply those to a variety of different aspects of our lives. I think there's like um finances or I'm um, even some I can't remember exactly um but maybe even things like grief or or loss or things like that. Yeah, and that's one of the tricky things with astrology is it, it can get into some really heavy topics and for a subject if that subject is truly going to be able to cover um every part of a person's life then it's got to be able to deal with some of the more difficult things as well as some of the more positive things. Um, this book does a pretty good job of giving an, an overview without necessarily getting into like super depressing topics necessarily. I think some of the other books on our list are more more suited for some of the more intense stuff, but this one's a good one for sort of an overview. Right, right, and just conceptualizing um, how the different how the different pieces would would come into play. Which um, I mean, I am very recently a, a beginner, so for me, learning astrology is is so close in my in my memory of how it how it felt and it is so conceptual in terms of taking the taking the different pieces and she her book really offers a way um, for how to even begin doing that right for sure um all right so i think that might be it for that book unless you have any other questions about it or anything else we should mention before we move on no thanks thanks chris you did a fantastic job of explaining all of that book's um strengths and characteristics okay cool um, yeah, the biggest one is just this is definitely the most well illustrated book on our list, which is important because there's so many technical concepts in astrology that are um, visual or representations of visual phenomenon that it's very important to have, especially nowadays when we're transferring from so many people are learning from the internet first, where you can have like audio and moving pictures from YouTube and things like that. Some sometimes for people. I mean, I feel a little almost old or like dated even saying that, but you know, the fact that um, 
sometimes learning from books may not be a person's like initial not starting point, but um, it just provides a more comfortable, I think, transition point for some people that might be more comfortable learning from YouTube to have a book that's not just text, but is also very well done from a visual standpoint to help sort of hold your hand or guide you through that process. Uh, I'm so glad you brought that up. That's a wonderful point because very often we just get, um, I often choose just the the digital version for my, for my Kindle. And this is a book that I have laid around with and spread out and um, put on the floor and had my charts on top of it. And um, I, I just can't express how, how valuable that, that aspect is. Yeah. Um, one other thing I should mention, uh, there are like, there's different versions of this book. Cause one of the things that's cool is I think it's taken off because I started recommending it a few years ago and then I noticed it's getting more popular. And I think it has some translations. I think there's a Spanish translation of this book. And there may be other translations of this book, which is actually another really great aspect of it is uh, accessibility and not just being available in that print format, but being available in different languages, having different ebook versions around. And also, there's a shorter version of this book, which is basically like the same book, but I think it chops off the last third of the book or something like that, where it deals with the individual topics. And instead, it just keeps the basic intro stuff. And it's called something like The Secrets or Secret Language of Astrology. And it's almost presented as if it's more like a kids or young adult version of the book, but it's basically just a shorter version. And the price is so similar that usually I recommend going with the one I'm recommending here with this title just because it's only like a dollar more. So it's worth it just to pay to get the full thing. Oh, that's great. That's good to know. Yeah, they've even got like a special edition. Have you seen those books in like Barnes and Noble that are um, like fancy editions of like classic books? Mm -hmm. um, I think they actually used the same company to print up like a super fancy hardcover edition of this book that actually looks really nice as well. For, so for those that want a really fancy version of this book, that's also out there as well. Yeah. Yes, that would be yeah. nice. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to the second um, book on my list, which is a book that just came out in, I believe it was in early 2020. It was like right before the pandemic. It was okay. one of the last times that I went out and I got a book in person, like at Barnes and Noble the day it came out. And this is uh, a book titled You Were Born for This Astrology for Radical Self Acceptance by Chani Nicholas. And this is another amazing. Uh, intro to astrology book, and it's one of the top books that I've been recommending for people that are brand new to astrology because this book really focuses in particular on um, certain aspect of the birth chart, which is uh, the sun, moon, and rising sign, as well as the planet that rules the rising sign, otherwise known as the ruler of the ascendant. So it ends up focusing primarily, even though it does give you an overview and an ability to um, analyze the entire birth chart. It's not quite as comprehensive as Carol Taylor's book, but that's because it's more focused on the crucial parts of the chart, or one of the most crucial parts of the chart, which is your sun, moon, and rising signs. And one of the things that's interesting, since like the 1960s, the last time that astrology had a major revival in popular culture, when um, some of the people that were born in the 1940s, like came of age 
with the hippies and like the counterculture generation of the late 1960s and around that time 1968 or so there was a super super popular book that was published which was Linda Goodman's Sun Signs in 1968 which I believe may still be the like highest selling astrology book certainly of modern times I'm not sure of all times maybe there's some other books like Ptolemy's that have been around for like 2000 years so it's kind of hard to beat that one but um at that time in the 1960s and 70s it became really common and popular for people to ask you know what's your sign and when that was stated it always meant what is your sun sign um but in the past decade it's actually become more common now to ask people what is your sun moon and rising sign your or what's sometimes known as your big 3 and i, I really like that because it's this emerging um realization in the public consciousness that astrology is more than just one sign or one zodiac sign but it actually consists of a number of different planetary placements and different signs of the zodiac starting with the three most important for one's personality which are your sun sign your moon sign and your ascendant or rising sign i mean that's that's such a great point and when you were talking about um, going in and getting it in in person right at the start of the pandemic, right I'm before the if, pandemic. Oh, right, right before. Um, yeah. And that you know the timing um, in my own life and my own interest is 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 marked there. And I'm wondering if you can talk about uh, maybe the influence of this book in at least what what I've heard or what's being called maybe a growing or a new popularity in um, in astrology in our larger culture. Yeah, um, something happened in the past few years, and it's funny because you can see there's like a podcast episode that happened right at the turning point where it was starting to happen, but I wasn't sure yet if it was really a thing or if it was just like a something the media was sort of was overhyping, which was this sudden like surge in the popularity of astrology, especially with the younger generation of people in their like twenties, in their like teens and twenties and maybe thirties. So in episode uh, one thirty nine of the astrology podcast, which I did with Dana Lynn Knuckles and Jessica Lignato, we talked about this, and the release date was January eleventh, twenty eighteen, and. Because what had happened is there had just been a sudden flurry of articles in the media. I think starting with like a New York Times article um, talking about how astrology seemed to be getting suddenly more popular recently. And so, at the time in this podcast episode, if you listen to it, we discussed both sides of the question of is astrology actually getting more popular, or is it actually this just a media thing and it's actually becoming less popular because at the time one of the things that was notable is that for the past several years before that there had been less and less astrology books published for a number of years and astrology books were kind of disappearing from the shelves just because they weren't being published as much um which on the one hand it wasn't clear if that was due to a, a decrease in the interest in astrology or if it was just a side effect of like the publishing industry going through this weird transition as like physical bookstores are becoming less and less common and and everything that goes along with that with like the rise of Amazon and things like that. Um, so I was actually a little skeptical at the time, but then it turned out by the end of the year, the answer was like, no, there really was a sudden like surge in the popularity of astrology, which continued and got even bigger and bigger and more intense over the next two years. 
So um, one of the really interesting things that came along with that that surge in the popularity of astrology with the younger generations of people in like their teens and twenties and thirties is that suddenly the astrological community, which had been um, a little bit more like monocultural, if I'm using the correct word, since the 1960s, um, suddenly became much more diverse, and there was a much greater cross section of um, the actual like public of the community in, in, of Americans, basically, who were getting interested in it suddenly. Um, but the type of astrology that they were encountering at the time was largely the type that had been uh, talked about and taught and written about in astrology books from like the 1970s and 1980s and 1990s from the people that came in in the hippie generation in the 1960s. So um, one of the things that started happening is you started seeing this new wave of astrologers coming up and a more diverse wave of astrologers coming up and starting to write astrology books that were more reflective of their communities and their concerns and their focus as astrologers. Um, and I think Chani's book is one of the first books, or it's one of several books that came out in the past few years that really reflects this, um, this change and this turn in the tide of astrology books and who they're being not just written for, but also um, yeah, the, the the types of people, not that they're necessarily targeting, but that they're being more conscious of in terms of the types of people that they're they're having consultations with and the communities that they're actually serving or trying to help in their astrological practices. Does does this book you were born for this incorporate aspects of memoir? Um, I'm not sure sure if I would say memoir so much okay. as. It's primarily, I mean, it is primarily an interpretive book for learning, especially about your sun, moon, and rising, and learning about the basics of the birth chart and how to interpret your birth chart. Um, I think it's just doing so in a much more, in, in a way that's trying to be much more inclusive than most astrology books were prior to that time. Okay. And, and re relatable, I think, maybe um, as well. Um, that it, it's it yeah it seems to come in and and been a part of this cultural moment that you're that you're describing, um, and where you know readers, um, students of astrology, people who are interested can can see a way to we've been calling it a language to use the language, um, and it's suddenly expansive as well as you've mentioned that it's not just the sun sign. Which is um, really so much of what a lot of the popular cultural um, articles and media have been have been about, but it starts to include the other the other pieces. Yeah, definitely, and also with the the language thing, one thing, one question that comes up that I remember, I think it was an, an um, article or a lecture that was given by Alice Sparkly Cat, who's another person that I know you've interviewed for this list as well, or or will interview. And they asked the uh, question. Not, I, I'm sorry, not for this list. I I um, interviewed Alice Sparkly Cat for a for a different Reader's Digest piece on the zodiac elements. Okay, got it. But for another astrology right. article, mm -hmm. um, they the the question was: um, if astrology is a language, then whose language is it? And one of the points was just that um, if astrology is a language, then that language is going to be adapted for different people. Um, in a way that's appropriate relative to their cultural norms and their own 
attitudes towards things like morality or um, sexuality, sexual orientation, um, gender orientation, and other things that are um, you know changing categories that are like rapidly growing in modern times, and where if you look back at an astrology book that was published even you know, a decade or two decades or three decades ago, it may look like wildly out of date compared to current cultural norms. Okay. So I think in terms of that, um, yeah, I think in terms of my list, Chani's book is one of the most um, sensitive to some of those changes that have happened in astrology over the past decade or two um, in terms of current changing cultural norms. And what is the appropriate use and application of astrology in that context versus what might be not appropriate or, or harmful or, or what have you? And am I correct that it's a that it's a bestseller? Um, yeah, I think it was okay. on the New York Times bestseller list. I've got like a hardback from before that happened, but I think you've got one from it may say on like the side of the um, the soft cover version that it's like a bestseller at this point. And I, um, one of the things that I love about this is I bought mine at, at Target, and it was just so exciting to see astrology um, content for for sale someplace like that. And it it just, um, um, you know, there's there's a sense of the topic being accepted. And and I um, previous in a previous life when I was an, an academic was very interested in popular and the pop, popular culture. And so I I love to see um, astrology becoming popular because I think of that um, not necessarily only as something that kind of flattens the the topic or um, or is simple, but um, but is something that's very shared and very um, powerful. And I love the accessibility of things that are um, that that are popular. So I don't always see things that are popular and mainstream as in, in any kind of negative light, but, but seeing them as having, um, a kind of special place in, um, the ways ideas are circulating for, for the most amount of people. Yeah, totally. And, and in this instance, this is, this one's really cool for me because I know Chani is like a serious, like awesome, like really good astrologer who's done really good work and has consulted with, um, people for years, and she's studied under uh, very respectable and famous astrologers. One of them is one of my own teachers, Demetra George, and one of her books will be later on this list. But she gives a very um, touching uh, shout out to Demetra at the acknowledgement at the very end of the book as, as one of her teachers. Um, so, one of the things that's cool about this list is er, this book is despite it going mainstream and being available, you know, on shelves in places like Target and stuff, it's actually a pretty serious astrology book and it's good astrology. It's not just an astrology book that was written by somebody that that hasn't isn't really very good or that that is not is like just a I don't know how to say it, like a celebrity astrologer or something like that who um, isn't very well read or has only been doing it for like a few months or something like that. Um, this is a, a book that's serious and well done, and also broke into the mainstream, which is really impressive and is something to celebrate among you know professional astrologers that do this for a living seriously and want to see the best content out there, you know, getting the most views as opposed to 
let's say, you know, some astrology memes or something like that that were, were just put out by somebody who may not necessarily even believe in astrology, but may just be doing that to generate content or views or something like that. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree. I just want to um echo echo what you said that this I, I've seen this book um be recommended with passion by by people. Um I've seen a person um like clutch it to their chest um for how much they they love it and how much it 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 means to them. So I think it's important to notice that those kinds of aspects about it too, that this um could very well be um a beginning book that's your introduction that you will also love, love very much. Yeah, definitely. Um, two other unique points about this book. One, Chani also recently, I think just in the past year, finally launched an app for uh, mobile phones called the Chani app. And it actually works really well with the book because it will calculate your birth chart for you and tell you what all of the planetary positions are and also give you some interpretations for those positions. So it's kind of a nice and reliable way to calculate your chart and then sort of use the book at the same time in order to learn more about it. And I like that synergy between the book and the app. Um, unfortunately, the app is only available currently for iPhones, but I think uh, it is going to come out for Android at some point in the future. Okay, nice. That, yeah, that's a great point too. And what a time to be alive. Yeah, I mean, that's been a huge revolution in and of itself is just the rise of mobile astrology apps and the availability of not just, uh, you know, when I learned astrology around the year 2000, I discovered astro.com and just the ability to calculate your birth chart for free on this website was a huge revolution in and of itself, you know, 20 years ago, because prior to that time, even 10 years before that, before the rise of the personal computer, in order to do astrology, you had to learn how to calculate a birth chart by hand. And that requires like uh, two or three or sometimes four reference books. And it takes a while to learn how to do that and be good at the understanding and doing the mathematics behind calculating the astronomical positions that are represented in a person's birth chart. And it's kind of easy where you could also mess it up if you're not very good at math and numbers and things like that. So one of the things that's happened over the past 20 years is there's been this huge rise in the accessibility of astrology so that you don't have to be like a mathematical genius or an astronomer in some instances. Many of the ancient astrologers were also astronomers because they needed to have that training in order to calculate charts. Nowadays, um, you know, with things like this book and the app that you can get with it, uh, anybody can get their birth chart calculated very easily. And then really the main focus just becomes learning the interpretive art of how to interpret and read a birth chart, which is really what's most important in astrology, um, even if you don't necessarily understand all of the complicated like coding and mathematics underlying it. Right. Uh, that's such a great point. It sounds like um, kind of what you're summarizing about these, these introductory books is um, that they really allow a way a way in, not just because they're popular, but but there's a different accessibility now. I worry that I would have, or somebody like me would have given up, um, even though I was so obsessed, simply because um, the calculations and the other kinds of um, really technical nuances would have been really difficult for me. But now I just at my fingertips was able to access charts. Um, it's, it's it really is just. Um, Astounding and also um, something that I deeply appreciate. 
Yeah, for sure. That and that's just part of making astrology more accessible. Um, it's lowered the barriers to entry, which I think is really important. It's also lowered the barriers of entry in terms of um, like economically or class-wise. Astrology is now more more accessible than it's ever been at any other time in history, probably. Even though certainly there have been other times in history where astrology has been more accepted culturally, or like belief in astrology has been more pervasive on on some in some ways or on some level, um, in terms of actual accessibility, that's one of the major just sea uh, changes that's happened over the past decade or so. Not just due to the rise of astrology on the web or on the internet, but also through the rise of of astrology apps. Um, including now recently Chenny's app. Okay. Yeah. Um, there's also been a number of other apps that have been become popular over the past few years with the rise of astrology, and I've done an episode on on some of them in the past. But that's been another reason why this book is important because everybody at this point knows what their sun, moon, and rising is, or that's become common knowledge in the same way that 20 years ago. Um, you know, just knowing your sun sign was common knowledge. But even if people know what their sun, moon, and rising is, they don't always know what that actually means. And this is probably the best book for figuring that out, I think, on my list, um, because it's specifically designed in particular to focus on those three points and explaining what they mean about different aspects of your personality as well as your life in general. Oh, I I, I love that. Um, and especially for beginners, it's um, it's it's so fun. Um, it really is quite pleasurable. In addition to being illuminating, when all of it op- opens up past your sun sign, which is really what most, as you say, what most of us are familiar with. Yeah, and that's a really exciting point once you realize that there's more to astrology than just like a single sign, because you know already that's something when it's presented in that that way of just. You're one out of twelve signs. That's already something that seems easy to dismiss because obviously everybody in the world doesn't fall into like one of twelve categories. Um, but that moment that you realize there's also like a moon sign and an ascendant sign is the first moment where astrology starts to open up, or the world of astrology starts to open up, and you start realizing it's actually much more complex than you may have realized previously, or than most people realize. So the next step is to figure out. You know how complex it actually gets, and how much more accurate it gets once you get past that initial uh, starting point. Precisely, yes. Yeah. So, last thing about this book, I think I hope I don't forget anything else, but it has it wins my award for like coolest cover on the list because it has this amazing like reflective uh, rainbow design in the title, which reflects back. Different patterns depending on the reflection of the light on it. So I think that's like easily the coolest cover award, I think, on my list. I, I agree. My paperback does that too. The the kind of rainbow shimmer or um, holographic element um, is not as as pronounced. But um, again, it's one of these these details um, that's related to, to 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 design and seems basic, but it really does kind of um, foretell um the journey or the entry that the reader's about about to take as they as they enter into the topic and enter into the book that it's um prismatic <laughs> that astrology is i think of it off very often as prismatic um because it has so many different um geometries and different and different sides and and um this detail you mentioned truly perfectly reflects that 
prismatic. I love that. That's a, that's a perfect the perfect word for this book and the way that it it approaches astrology and opens up and makes it more accessible um, to many different people that are coming from different backgrounds that may not be the traditional background that astrology books were only written for. Uh, you know, twenty or thirty or forty years ago. Yes. Yeah. All right. So that is my second recommendation, and those are my two main like intro beginner books and I usually recommend people get both of those like right at the start. Um so those are my first two. My third book oh yeah one actually one last point before I fully transfer out of that book. One last point I want to mention really briefly is just um Chani Nicholas also does a really good job. The very first book that I recommended Carol Taylor's book is definitely more Modern 20th century astrology, the type of astrology that had developed um, in the West by the late 20th century, especially in the English speaking world, and some of the different technical innovations and developments that, that had come with that. Um, over the past 20 or 30 years, though, there's been a rise in interest since the 1980s and 1990s in older forms of astrology where Astrologers started going back and looking at what astrology looked like prior to the 20th century, um, sometimes as far back as thousands of years ago, and studying older texts on astrology. And in some instances, entire translation projects were set up in the early 1990s in order to translate these older texts. And then astrologers started reading from them and learning from them and reviving some of the older techniques. So for the most part, um, Carol's Taylor, Carol Taylor's book does not focus on that. However, Chani, uh, Chani Nicholas's book, she studied both modern astrology and ancient astrology with certain teachers like Demetra George. So that gives Chani's book a unique take where I consider it to be one of the first mainstream astrology books that represents a synthesis of modern and ancient astrology. Which to me is a really ideal mixture to take sort of the best of both worlds and blend them together. And that's one of the other really great selling points and reasons why I recommend this as one of my two best, like first intro to astrology books. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a great point to mention. Yeah. So that is actually a nice transition point then for my next book, which is the third book on my list, which has been on my list since for most of the past decade, and definitely um, I think I've been recommending it for like 10 years now, and, and definitely in the last really popular list that I did uh, in 2017, which is like the top six books. It was on one of the books on my list. Um, it's returning to my list here because it's one of the best intro to traditional astrology books, and it's titled on the Heavenly Spheres, a treatise on traditional astrology by Helena Avalar and Luis Ribeiro. So this book was actually written by um, a couple of astrologers from Portugal uh, back in, I think the first version of the book was actually written in Portuguese in 2007, I want to say. But this version of the book was translated into English and published by the American Federation of Astrologers in 2010 or 2011 it came out in one of those one of those years about 10 years ago now and what this book is is it's a very good introduction to what we call traditional astrology which is the type of astrology that was practiced roughly between the 1st century BCE through the 17th century uh, CE 
um, largely in Europe uh, over that time frame, basically. And that's what we refer to as traditional astrology or Western astrology because it was practiced um, prior to modern times and also prior to the discovery of the outer planets such as Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto, which started being discovered after the 17th century. So um, this is a very comprehensive introduction to that type of astrology. It especially focuses on the medieval astrological tradition and the Renaissance astrological tradition, and I want to say that it has more of an emphasis on the medieval and Renaissance approach rather than some of the earlier Hellenistic approaches. Um, but for the most part, it's pretty good for traditional astrology. And the other thing is that aside from being comprehensive, um, it's also incredibly well illustrated because Luis is a graphic designer and he designed these beautiful diagrams to explain every single concept in the book, um, which is extremely useful when you're talking about some really complicated concepts because this definitely gets into more even though it's an intro to astrology book, it's an intro to traditional astrology, so it's more in the intermediate realm, and they get into some much more complex um, things from traditional astrology, including complex aspect um, doctrines like transfer of light and collection of light, and some things that were used in like horary and electional astrology in the medieval period that are very useful, but they're a little bit of a step up from some of the more basic concepts that we we're talking about in the previous two books. Okay, yeah, that was that was something that I wanted to to ask you about. Um, for people who are going to um, move from from the beginner level up to to inter intermediate, how would you um, kind of describe or lay out what they need to have as a foundation so that they can really get into this, you know, um, this next book that you recommend? Or would would you say because I often do this, I enjoy reading something that I don't quite understand. That's maybe a peculiar tick for me, but kind of a jump in, jump into the deep end um, and just kind of like work, work your way through. So can you maybe speak to um, maybe what level people should have or, or what, what this experience will be like to dive into this book? Sure. I mean, I think you could um, start studying it relatively early, but just in order to not be completely overwhelmed and intimidated, I would say start with the previous two books, especially the first book, Carol Taylor's book, so that you can learn the basic layout of a chart and that fourfold system of planets, signs, houses, and aspects, and especially so you can learn first the symbols uh, so you can recognize in a birth chart like what is the symbol for Mercury, or what is the symbol for the sign Virgo, or what have you, so that you have that basic, um, basic, basic stuff underlying you already, and then you can get into a book like this, where it starts going into more, it starts taking some of those concepts and putting them together to form much more complex sentences. And this book in particular, there's a shift because it's more on traditional astrology. It tends to be more focused on predictive astrology. Uh, which is a little bit different than more modern astrological books that tend to be more about character uh, character analysis and looking at one's psychology through the birth chart. When you get into traditional astrology, you start looking at the birth chart um, with you know some of that. It does take some character analysis and psychology into account, but it also shifts the focus to much more of an emphasis on predicting concrete events in a person's life based on their birth chart. Um, so that's where 
there's not just a shift in terms of techniques, but also in terms of tone and focus and sort of like the scope in which you're applying astrology. Um, traditional astrology also broadens things, whereas the first two books were more focused on just natal astrology and learning how to read a birth chart or, or your birth chart in particular. When you start getting into traditional astrology, you realize there's also other branches of astrology, which are different applications of astrology that can be different than just looking at birth charts. So one of the other branches of astrology is called mundane astrology, and this is where you're looking at world events that affect large groups of people, such as, for example, like the, the pandemic that happened last year and where the lockdowns really took place and, and really started happening seriously, especially in the West under that huge um, stellium or pileup of planets that happened in the sky in the sign of Capricorn, especially in the March and April timeframe of 2020. So that's mundane astrology, looking at world events. There's also electional astrology, which is selecting auspicious dates and times in the future in order to begin different ventures and undertakings under the premise that there's some dates that are going to be more successful and there's other dates that are going to be less successful uh, times to act. And there's also horary astrology, which I believe this book touches on briefly, which is casting a chart for the moment that an astrologer receives a question with the premise that the chart for that moment will describe not just the nature of the question, but also its outcome or the, the answer to the question in some sense. So um, this is a good book to look at to get a kind of broad overview of maybe not just the history um, and a very important history of astrology, but also the the different genres or categories or types of um, of, astro of astrology that exist. Yeah, definitely. It gives you a much broader scope of the full sort of technical apparatus of astrology that is outside of uh, just birth charts. Even though it's it's still largely focused on birth charts, it, it gives you um, a glimpse into other specialized areas of astrology, which the reader may or may not choose to fully pursue. But it's actually it's good as part of your initial studies to get that broad overview overview and have some exposure so that you know what's out there and you know what's available. Yeah, I I I, I agree, and I'm sure we're going to talk more about why why history is important as we move on to other books. But do you want to talk a little bit about about that now for maybe anybody um, anybody listening or even for me in um, in my piece for for Reader's Digest. Um, I find history fun and, and fascinating. But um how would you describe this this book really being something um definitely to learn to learn astrology, but also that it's um there's something so vital and important about delving into the past or the beginning or where where things started. I always find um fascinating, but but we're thinking of for people who maybe aren't um aren't quite that that nerdy, maybe, but still have a, a passion or interest in astrology in the topic. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's other books that'll get a little bit more into the history on my list that I'll mention later. But the important thing with this one is it does start to provide you with more historical context on the history of astrology and its very long legacy that stretches back for two or three or four thousand years. And um, the most important thing about this book is that. The revival of traditional astrology started happening in the 1980s and the 1990s when astrologers started translating texts and like reading these texts and then trying to put those techniques into practice. But um, 
it was a long time before the first before astrologers had been doing that for long enough and and taking some of those ancient techniques and putting them into practice before anybody was comfortable writing an intro to astrology book that was purely based on the ancient methods of traditional astrology this is one of the first books and it came out in like 2010 that successfully gave you kind of like an overview of traditional astrology but in a modern um Format in a you know a book that was published in 2010, so it was the first time that you could learn traditional astrology without having to to pick up a translation of an ancient text and read and try to read that and try to understand what an author from a thousand years ago or two thousand years ago said, who originally wrote in a different language like Greek or Latin or Arabic uh, that had then been translated into English. So it's actually. Kind of difficult, and not everybody has the mind for it or the um, uh, not aptitude, but almost like it, it's almost like a skill set that some people have and other people don't of being able to pick up a translation and like read it and understand what the author is saying. It's kind of a difficult thing to do, and it, and it's it creates another again barrier to entry. Um, that means that traditional astrology was inaccessible for a lot of people for a very long time, where. In the 1990s, there was a translation project that was producing translations, and lots of contemporary astrologers um, subscribed to it just in order to support it. But then they would be sent these translations, and they would pick it up and look at it, and the translation wouldn't make any sense because even though they knew modern astrology, they didn't have enough background in ancient astrology and the specialized vocabulary that was used by the ancient astrologers to really be able to read a translation and get much from it. So they would kind of like put the translation down and, and it didn't really influence their practice of astrology for many, many astrologers, I feel like in the 1990s and, and early 2000s. Um, this couple, Helena Avalar and Luis Ribeiro, were, were two of the first astrologers really early on. They got into those translations, understood them, um, and also had some language skills so that they could read some of those translations or some of those books in their original languages. And then they started putting those techniques into practice, using them with clients, and then also eventually teaching them to students so that they learned. It became kind of like a living, traditional astrology became a living thing again, and they learned how to teach it best to students. And this book partially represents a sort of culmination of their um, practice teaching students traditional astrology in that they figured out how to do that on a more general scale to make it approachable and understandable and accessible to the contemporary astrologer. Oh, it it sounds it sounds fascinating. I I can't wait to get this one. Listening to you describe it, and and again, I it, I I feel like you um, set us up at the beginning, and now as we move to intermediate, it's again um, a book or research um, project that allows entry into topics that um, really until quite recently were pretty pretty inaccessible. So again, it's just um it feels like a very fortunate time for um for people interested to to delve in. Yeah, it, it's an amazing time. It's literally there's never been a time in the history of astrology in which so many translations of texts and so much knowledge from the past astrological traditions has been available to contemporary astrologers all at once where you could Go back and and you can learn all of this stuff firsthand from translations of ancient texts, of which there's hundreds at this point from the past two or three thousand years. Um, but 
just about nobody can like pick up the text of like Ptolemy or Guido Bonatti or somebody like that and just learn astrology from scratch from those. You need some sort of primer in order to get an entryway into those texts, and this is one of the first successful primers in modern times. Um, and the the couple, the two I've interviewed them on the Astrology Podcast before are just very brilliant astrologers, um, both of which over the past decade went back to school and got their PhDs in the study of ancient history and did um, PhD dissertations focusing on the history of astrology and focusing on, in some instances, the recover, recovery or the study of ancient texts. So I just did um, – Unfortunately, one of one of the authors, um, Helena Avalar, uh, passed away just earlier this year, unexpectedly in March. Um, she had just her book, which was the publication of her PhD thesis, actually just came out a few months later. And I just interviewed her husband, Luis Ribeiro, about that. Um, but that book's titled "An Astrologer at Work in Late Medieval France: The Notebooks of S. Bell." So. There's this interesting thing with traditional astrology where it also, because you're studying ancient history, it starts bringing in academic disciplines of, you know, the study of history, of uh, classics, of philology, the ability to read manuscripts that are handwriting, handwritten manuscripts by ancient authors, um, learning ancient languages, and all sorts of other. Uh, academic skills. So that's one of the things, and it's one of the reasons why you get to more of an intermediate stage at this point. And it's because um, when you start studying traditional astrology, you start studying not just predictive astrology, but there's this whole broader world of the history of astrology that also opens up to you. Um, yeah, that that's um, fascinating. The connection that it that it had for both of these. Um, authors to academia, and I, I don't think I know much about that 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 crossover. But I just wanted to mention um, I'm so sorry about that author's passing, and, and thank you for recommending this. What sounds like a truly extraordinary project. Yeah, I mean the the good thing is that Helena, um, before she passed away, I did an interview with her actually almost two years ago. Um, on the Astrology Podcast. It was episode 225, titled Helena Avalar and Luis Ribeiro on Traditional Astrology. And one of the things, both of them were very active in the astrological community in like the late 2000s and early 2010s. Um, but then they kind of disappeared for several years. And I realized, I found out later, once they started coming back, uh, circa 2018, 2019, that the reason that they disappeared is both of them had gone into academia and had gotten their PhDs, and that's what they had been focused on was really intense research. And interestingly, in the meantime, while they were gone, their book had become very influential in the astrological community because it was one of the only really comprehensive treatments of traditional astrology that anybody had published at that point in modern times. And um, in that interview in October of 2019 with um, Helena and Luis, I was actually luckily able to let Helena know how much influence her book had actually had on the astrological community and that there was an entire generation of um, astrologers that were getting into traditional astrology and getting excited about it um, because of their book and that their book had become very popular and very influential on a whole generation of astrologers 
um, even though they weren't fully aware of that over the course of the past decade. So um, even though it's really uh, incredibly tragic that she passed away um, so unexpectedly and so young, um, at least she was able to complete some really influential works and she was able to know that her work was influencing people in a really profound way. And I think there's something really um, beautiful and sort of moving about that. Yeah, I I agree, and I um I'm looking forward to to getting this this one in particular, and 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 diving in, and then um um I mean I'm looking forward also to um to the academic to her dissertation um that you just mentioned as well. That's um that's truly fascinating, um and it it kind of um would give the audience for this an idea of just how vast um it goes and i think you mentioned at some point that it it astrology is so vast that it would be um a lifelong um project of learning um for anyone including scholars that it's just ne- never ending yeah exactly it's a really vast field but sometimes you find some piece of it that really interests you and it becomes um, something you specialize in, and it becomes a boating, motivating factor to learn all of these other things that can help you to um, improve your ability to study and specialize in that one area of astrology. Um, so, in that instance, with their instance, it was learning ancient languages, and, and Helena had a, a aptitude for learning different languages, um, like. She her main language was Portuguese, but she also learned like French and Latin in order to what she did was go back with her dissertation and revive the work where she found these two notebooks and two libraries in Europe by a astrologer who lived in the 15th century in France who had written his private notes about astrology and like birth charts of his children and his cousins and different things like that. And nobody had ever heard of this astrologer before, and she rediscovered his notebooks and then did a dissertation about it showing how these private notebooks showed the actual working practice of somebody that practiced and believed in astrology in the 15th century. So for her, it was studying all the things related to that in terms of history. But for other people, they get into astrology and they get into other specialized areas of it like financial astrology, for example, or medical astrology, or there's many different Applications of astrology to many different um, areas of life. And all of those areas then become things where you have to learn not just the astrology, but also some of the things that go with it in order to be truly good at that specialized subset. Yeah. And I think we've we've talked about um kind of the new popularity, we could we could call it maybe of astrology. And I think it might not be generally known. Um, that astrology is ancient, um, and that astrology is really a, a um, really prominent part of um, of many many histories. Yeah, and it, it, that it's influenced the history and culture of like many different societies over the past several thousand years. You know, sometimes in ways where it's just like embedded in our culture in ways that we don't even realize. Like for example. The story of the Star of Bethlehem in the um, Gospel of Matthew at the very beginning of Christianity was a astrological story about some sort of celestial alignment that indicated the birth of the Messiah or the birth of Jesus or what have you. And that story had a very 
explicit astrological context when it was written in the first century. Um, you know, there's things like that that are sort of embedded in our cultural memory sometimes that we take for granted that we don't even realize are coming from the influence of astrology. Mm-hmm. That it even is uh, the kind of the foundation of the ways that we understand um, basic our basic conceptions of both space and time um, have a kind of astrological origin that is largely um, not something that's thought about um, in, in a broad way. Yeah, space, time, but also things like fate, free will, um, you know, simple things like celebrating one's birthday every year, like celebrating the return of the sun back to the exact position it was when you were born every 365 days or so. Um, there's lots of different things like that that are ultimately astrological in origin that we just sort of take take for granted. And learning about the history of astrology is sometimes reconnecting and, and realizing um, those things that we're taking for granted historically or culturally. Mm-hmm. That, that sounds like a great recommendation then. Yeah, Perfect. it's a very good book. Um, I know Luis is going to republish it at some point here in the not-too-distant future with an updated version, because I think they already updated the Portuguese version a few years ago, but um, presumably it'll have the same title or something close to it. All right, so that is actually only my third recommendation. Um, My fourth recommendation at this point um, is a book by, and she has several books, but the one I'm going to recommend for the purpose of this list that's a little bit more beginner is a book titled Astrology and the Authentic Self, uh, Integrating Traditional and Modern Astrology to Uncover the Essence of the Birth Chart by Demetra George. So this is a book that came out, I believe, in like 2008 or 2009. And I was talking about earlier about how there, there hadn't really been, by the late 2000s, anybody that had done a successful intro to traditional astrology book um, but the other part of that is that it wasn't just that, but also nobody had taken the next step after that, which is to do an intro to astrology book that represented a synthesis of both traditional astrology or ancient astrology and modern astrology, where you take um, astrology that had developed in the late 20th century and included all of the advancements that had occurred over the past several centuries, like the discovery of the outer planets Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto, um, but also that synthesized and had the knowledge of the previous 2,000 years of the practice of Western astrology at the same time. And This book by Demetra George is one of the first um, truly successful attempts to synthesize modern and ancient astrology in recent times. and. To do it in a way that's access- is um, accessible is straightforward and somewhat simple, but it, it but does not sacrifice any of its in- intellectual integrity at the same time. So it's a really good intermediate book that I recommend at this stage because um, once you start getting some of the traditional background from, for example, Helen- Helena and Luis's book, this is a good book to take you to that next step, which I believe is the next sort of, I hate using this term, but let's say evolution of astrology in terms of there being some progression. Um, The next step after the revival of traditional astrology is the synthesis of ancient and traditional astrology with contemporary astrology, because um, while there are some authors and there are some 
astrologers that want to go back and just practice traditional astrology and and their motto becomes something like like one of their mottos was that the old ways are the good ways or something like that and they want to go back and practice what they see as some like pure form of astrology that's more predictive and is more concrete and is not overly psychological or distracted with modern concepts like outer planets or asteroids or other things like that um, and while there's some validity to that approach, and I know that's the approach that you'll actually find in Helena and Luisa's book is more of a strict traditional astrology that you should practice astrology like it was practiced up until about the 17th century. And there's a certain elegance to that. Um, there's another school of thought, which is that there's still, while traditional astrology is really valid and beautiful and useful, and there's lots of great things we should take from it. Um, there's also some really beautiful and useful and elegant things from modern astrology or from contemporary astrology that shouldn't be thrown out, that you shouldn't sort of throw out the baby with the bathwater, so to speak. Just a really weird saying. I, I don't know if there's <laughs> yeah, a better version of that saying, but <laughs> it makes me want to look up like where does that come from? What is that about? But that I'll right. do it later. <laughs> Let's just take that yeah. for granted and pr- right, right, right. Pr- pretend that that saying makes any sense. Okay. And um so there's there's a, a, a sort of philosophy among some astrologers that there's good things from both modern and ancient astrology, and what we should do is trying to take the best pieces from both and merge them or fuse them together into a new system. And in my studies of the history of astrology, what I noticed is that a, approximately every 200 years, this actually happens in the history of astrology, where there's like a, a translation movement, and some astrologers get excited about reviving some of the older forms of astrology, and then they synthesize it with whatever the current prevailing paradigm of astrology is at that time. And this tends to happen around and shortly after the conjunctions of Uranus and Neptune for some reason. And the last time we had one of those was in 1992 and 1983, and that was the point where there was a translation project that was actually formed to translate ancient astrological texts. But if you go back in 200-year increments, you'll see astrologers continuously doing that. So I, I believe that that's the stage we're at now. And what I love about Demetra's book is it's one of the first books after that Uranus-Neptune conjunction that was truly successful in taking some of the ancient concepts and fusing them with the modern concepts in a way that was compelling and made sense both uh, conceptually as well as practically. And it's because Demetra had a very long history first as a modern astrologer for 20 or 30 years, starting in the 1960s. And um, she initially became famous for writing one of the first books that dealt with the asteroids and their astrological interpretation and how to put them in birth charts. Um, but then later in the 1990s, she got very interested in traditional astrology. She went back to school and she learned Greek and Latin and, and translated some texts. And she also worked with a translation project that was translating texts into English. And she was one of the first astrologers that not just learned the system and started putting it in practice, but also started teaching it to other people. And so due to this background, she was sort of uniquely qualified to be one of the first people to synthesize the ancient and modern traditions and present it in this relatively comprehensive, not too long and not too um, overly wordy text that um, is a pretty good intermediate text on astrology. 
Yeah, I I think one of one of the things that I can contribute to the conversation is um for me this the study of of astrology and many of these books has been so um so pleasurable and I've read both this one that you just recommended and also Astroid Goddesses and I can say that they're um is the word uh, page turners. <laughs> I mean, they're they're easy. They're easy to read, and they're um, they're exciting. And you kind of race through. And I can say about asteroid um, goddesses that I um, learned about the asteroids, and I tore through um, the entire book, asteroid goddesses, and read it. I would say kind of like like a novel. And I remember not not taking notes and not thinking of being scholarly about it, but just kind of. Um, absorbing it as i as i fell in love with the concept of these of these asteroids and all um and all of the concepts myths um inf- information that was that was there so um in that sense i can say during all of my studies i never would have imagined that i would be in this be in this conversation with you necessarily and i can say that my studies were not like taking notes like I may have for this and like what kinds of things would I say about about these particular books, but to really just immerse myself for my own um, um, edification that I truly, truly enjoyed. So I'm hoping that um, that I can inspire a lot of people out there who have an, um, an interest at whatever level in astrology, that it, it really is something to that you can immerse in that just provides a lot of um, of joy along with with interest. Yeah, definitely. There's definitely um astrology is one of those things that once you find it, it can be um become like a a, a lifelong passion, but it's actually fun to learn about because you find this entire field that is actually super interesting and super relatable to your life and that becomes um, a reason to learn all of these different things and all these different areas that you might not ever have gotten into otherwise um, and it actually becomes like enjoyable or like very pleasurable to learn about astrology just for its own sake in some ways yeah I think um, I think absolutely and that's kind of the, the point I'm um, trying to to get across that it, it's not just um, it's it, it's a learning that um, I think is is you know because I am a, a previous scholar you know scholar I know how how to do all of that how to take notes and how to retain everything because you know you're going to have to defend it or you're going to organize it for something that's that's going to be published and um, and that's that's certainly there's nothing more important than than that because we have to know the history and um we have to you know do our homework and our due di- due diligence and um i think be really rigorous and careful but in tandem with that there's also so many aspects of this that are really um things like wild is a is a word that i might use wild in enjoyable a great read you know all, all of these other kinds of things and that really um can have as much of an impact on your life that you that you want yeah, for sure. Um, it really does make a difference sometimes when an astrology book is well written and when the um, author has a certain knack for conveying or information or for teaching astrology. And that's one of the things that I know every student of Demetra's or everyone who's read one of her books has loved about her writing since the very beginning or her teachings is that she has a natural gift as a teacher. Um, and it's partially because when she was in college, she Initially, was training to be like a math teacher um, before she. Um, it was like the late 1960s, and she like ran off and joined a commune. And there, 
while living on this commune, like picked up a book on astrology one day from the library and started learning about astrology and then fell deeply in love with it. And it turned out to be her her calling in life um, and her life's work. But she's always had this knack for breaking concepts down and conveying them in a way that's understandable to the reader or to the student. And that's one of the things that I think anybody that reads any of her books, but especially this one, will be the most struck by is even though it's an intermediate text, it's dealing with more intermediate concepts in terms of natal astrology and reading birth charts, it does so in a very approachable fashion. Yeah, that's that's a great point to make. I, I would describe it also is um taking a class or reading a teacher. You know, it's like reading reading something that's being taught. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I did a like a biographical interview with Demetra in episode 73 of the Astrology Podcast titled The Life and Work of Astrologer Demetra George, uh, where people can get more background information on her and her work. I also she has a more recent book um that was published just a few years ago that I there's like a debate about whether to include that more recent one or this one from 2008. And I included the one from 2008 because I think it's a better in terms of what I'm going for with this list is a better like first astrology book that synthesizes modern and ancient astrology. Um, but she has um, one other book out titled um, Ancient Astrology in Theory and Practice, uh, Volume 1, Assessing Planetary Condition. And this is, I interviewed her in episode 188 of the podcast about that. And that's more of a detailed treatment of ancient Hellenistic astrology. Um, but we'll we'll maybe come back to that later and I'll mention that again in passing because it goes together better with another book on this list for but I think for our purposes, for intermediate astrology books, that people will find this one to be the most accessible and to be one of the best. One of the things you said about astrology being like fun to learn and like pleasurable to learn and giving people um you know, real spark for learning is um, if you become like an astrologer and astrology becomes like a lifelong passion, whether you make it a career thing or whether it's just a side hobby of yours, in either instance, one of the things that all astrologers share in common is that they end up building up um, a pretty decent library of astrology books and collecting and reading different astrology books is part of being an astrologer and, and always has been in some sense. There's a really important uh, element of astrology in having to do with like literature and having to do with sort of book learning that's an important part of its history. So this list that I'm outlining is like my ideal six or so intro to astrology books that you start with, but this by no means will be the end of your your journey, but instead will just be the beginning of your collecting of different astrology books. And this list is just meant to give you a solid foundation or starting point for that. So we might even think of it as like um, call it something like a quickie syllabus or something like that. Um, that that even though um, you know you're dis- you're describing um, the content of of these works and it it's it's sounding. Um, so so intense and and detailed, but it is important. Um, I guess that we're honest about about the fact that this is these are um, tiny windows in terms of of what's actually available, uh, what's actually out there. Yeah, exactly. And because all of these books, one of the things about the books on my list that they're all going to share in common is they're all very 
cognizant of the fact that they're sort of like standing on the shoulders of giants. And when you read these books and then when you look at their bibliographies or you read in some of the footnotes or even some of the references in the body of the text in passing to other works, you're going to end up walking away with like a list of other important books that influenced this author or the author of each of these books and that in some way inspired them or influenced different techniques that they present in the book. So that's one of the other things about this list is it's also giving you really good books as your first six astrology books, but that's going to be like a a thing that's going to branch off from there and is going to lead to dozens and potentially hundreds of other books if you decide to make this like a major study of yours. Right. All right, so let's transition at this point to the fifth book on my list, which is a book by uh, an astrologer and an academic scholar named Richard Tarnas titled Cosmos and Psyche, Intimations of a New Worldview. So this book came back, came out back in, I believe it was 2005, uh, roughly. I should probably look that up. But it was kind of a big deal at the time because it was actually reviewed in a number of major publications. And the reason for that, it was kind of like it made a splash. It was like an astrology book. Um, but the reason why it was really important and it became uh, notable in actual like mainstream discussions and like literary reviews at the time was because Richard Tarnas was actually um, a famous academic and author of a, a book that came out over a decade earlier um, in the early 1990s titled pa- The Passion of the Western Mind, which was kind of like um, a sweeping overview of the development of Western thought uh, and the development of Western thought and philosophy that he wrote that um, was so successful that it became like on the core reading lists in many college courses. Uh, for studying like Western civilization. Um, and it didn't have anything to do with astrology, and it kind of put him on the map as like a respectable intellectual scholar. But what happened in 2005 is that it turned out he came out with this other book that was about astrology, and it turned out that Passion of the Western Mind was kind of like originally just like a footnote or a precursor to this broader presentation of astrology that he had been writing for for a few decades up to that point. So um, Cosmos and Psyche is a much more dense, much more kind of um, heady or kind of like brainy book on astrology where essentially what he tried to do is he tried to um, act as as a respectable academic scholar to make the best pitch that he possibly could um, to intellectuals and to an academic audience and a general audience of like educated individuals of astrology as a legitimate phenomenon. And he tried to be like, this is a real phenomenon. Here's some of the evidence based on my study of history, and especially based on the study of planetary cycles and how important planetary alignments have um, coincided with important turning points in the history of Western civilization and thought. Um, and that's basically the premise of the book. Essentially, he doesn't. I don't think he even mentions the word astrology for the first fifty pages, and then eventually he sort of gets into it, and it turns out that this is an astrology book where it's kind of trying to take the 
intellectual community by surprise in presenting this as a subject of serious study that's actually um, could be respectable and could be legitimate, even though up to that point uh, it had been treated as I think he says like the gold standard of pseudoscience or something like that, where in modern times astrology is not viewed as legitimate in scientific or most philosophical or most intellectual circles, even though something like 25% or 30% of the population, depending on the survey, quote-unquote, believes in astrology, it's not seen as something, especially in academic circles, as something that's legitimate. Um, so he tries to present the case for it actually being a legitimate topic that has some validity to it and what the world would be like and what the cosmos would be like if that were true. That's basically the premise of Cosmos and Psyche for my my take on it. Okay. So I I have I have this one. I'm not all the way through. Um folks should know it's it's very, very thick. It's it's yeah. it's lovely and extremely fascinating. I'm very curious very how was it received, especially either by the popular audience or the academic community? Um, how was it received? I mean, the reviews were largely like not super good. There was some surprise. I mean, I don't think it ended up having the impact that he wanted it to have at the time in that it didn't just like suddenly break open the case and suddenly like everybody believes that astrology is a legitimate phenomenon um overnight. Um I do think in retrospect that it started to have um a little bit more impact than it initially seemed to because one of the things that happened is that it was published by a major publisher. I think it was published by like Viking uh, Press or something like that. Um, yeah, it was published by Viking, uh, which is like a subset of the of Penguin. So it was published by a major publisher, and as a result of that, one of the things that was weird about Cosmos and Psyche is that even still today, I think you'll find it in like major bookstores. In not in the astrology section, but in the philosophy section. Um, and there was this period for a decade or a decade and a half where you could walk into like any mainstream bookstore, like a Barnes and Noble, or you know, back when they used to have like Borders Books or something like that in the, the glory days of you know, more than 10 years ago before all the bookstores started closing down. And you could find this book in the philosophy section. And one of the very weird side effects of that is I've met a lot of people over the past 10 or 15 years since the book was published that found this book by accident and picked it up and started reading it and accidentally stumbled into like actual legitimate uh, advanced astrology as a result, and it became their first astrology book as a result of that and as a result of um, you know his initial stature as, a, as an intellectual and as a scholar. And um, having it published by a major publisher and having it get categorized in basically the philosophy section. Yeah, it's um, you know just from my I would call maybe like a, a very um, brief perusal. It's philosophical and it's also um, kind of poetic in the way that it theorizes. I would say a kind of um, kind of the. The art or structure of meaning around broad cultural and historical patterns, myths, um, in tandem with the movements of the of the planets. Would you say that I'm get kind of describing it correctly? 
Yeah, I think so. Because one of the things, it ended up forming sort of a uh, school of astrology, you might say, that they refer to themselves as archetypal astrology. And these tend to be people that are patterning their astrology after um, Richard Tarnas's work and the sort of approach to astrology that he presents there that is, um, for the most part, it represents what I usually see as like the highest form of modern astrology, where this was one of the last books before traditional astrology started becoming really popular and that <clears throat> is largely sort of untainted by that movement to go back and like integrate all of these old texts and old ways into astrology. So it's largely presenting a, a somewhat pure take on modern astrology, but it's also representing what I would consider to be like the best, some of the best pieces of modern astrology, where if if you could make a distinction, let's just say hypothetically, between in any field, there's going to be um you know, people that do something really well and at a very high level, and there's going to be an intermediate version of that, and there's going to be a like lower version of that that's maybe not done as well or as carefully or with as much intellectual rigor. I would say that his book represents some of the highest aspirations of modern astrology um, at that turning point in 2005 where things were starting to change and it was starting to go a different direction into the older forms of astrology. Um, so anyway, but they call their approach archetypal astrology, and it's based on this concept that there's archetypes that exist out there that are like umbrella concepts, and that astrology um, speaks in some way through archetypes. And so, for example, when he introduces the planets, he has uh, like a long paragraph that explains that you have Saturn, and this is the um, he tries to explain the archetype of Saturn by talking about 50 different things that Saturn is said to signify or be associated with in astrology. And part of the issue is that um, for us living in the world, we're familiar with all of the individual manifestations, but we can't ex access fully this broader overarching umbrella concept, which is the archetype of Saturn. Um, but you can access all of the hundreds of different manifestations of that, um, which are the concrete manifestations of it in our world. But the more you understand the concrete manifestations and the variety in them, the more you can get closer to having some comprehension of the overarching archetype. And one access point for that is understanding like the myths or the myths associated with the planets, for example, is one manifestation of the archetype. But there's also other manifestations, either psychologically or in character traits, or also in concrete events. Yeah, I, it it is one of the um, essential concepts of of astrology. We started out by talking about um, the different components of the language, and then by the time we get to a work like Cosmo and Psyche, it's really showing um, how how um, the language is both vast but also quite grounded. And specific at, at at the same time, and that's even really just hard to understand conceptually. How can something how can something be that, um, especially in the traditional sense that there's just kind of seven um, seven planets or the two luminaries and and the planets. There's only seven, but within the seven, you could call even those archetypes, or I've heard them called hyper 
objects, um, these entities or literal planets, however you want to think of it, that are infused with meanings. And this, this book is kind of um, an illustration of the variant ways that the meanings can work, manifest, be read, be interpreted, um, be, be seen that um, felt to me very well researched and very um, grounded, even though what we're talking about doesn't seem very grounded, but it, but it is. So um, I see this work as giving, um, um, again, another kind of window or doorway into how, how astrology can work in, in one of its, one of its forms. And um, it's, it's meaningful for the reader because again, um, you mentioned Saturn, we're taking those archetypes, those connotations, those variant meanings and all of the different range that they can happen from the psychological to the literal, the mundane, et cetera. And we're figuring out how they do apply, how they interact, how they make, how, how they make patterns. So it's kind of pattern making, um, and, and the art of making, making meaning. Um, so the work can be something very, um, very beautiful. I do think a little bit intimidating. And I felt a little nervous um, as a former academic for him, even though I knew that it had been published over a decade earlier. And whatever had happened, um, you know, he he withstood. But um, but it would be difficult, I think, um, to introduce it within that discipline. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I've learned that I've seen over the past 10 years were suddenly going from like I was one of the only people talking about, like a handful of people talking about traditional astrology, is that things don't change overnight, and they don't usually change with your the older generation. They change with the next generation that's coming up, and that's actually what I've seen. Is suddenly over the past five or six years, over the past ten years, suddenly um, traditional astrology and the older forms of astrology have taken off and become wildly popular. With the next generation of astrologers, um, and I think there's a parallel there with Tarnas's work, where even if he didn't cause a seismic shift in the contemporary or like older, um, you know, academic establishment at the time, there was probably ways in which his work has influenced some younger generations and some people that were exposed to astrology that wouldn't have otherwise, and especially people that other that if they picked up. One of the other books on our list, like Carol Taylor's book, which is much more, you know, designed to be more almost like graphic, almost like a graphic novel in some sense, in the way that it's illustrated very well, that that wouldn't be appealing to and wouldn't be compelling to like a certain subset of, let's say, intellectuals or, or people with an academic background. Whereas something like Tarnas's book um, is something because it has um, a certain consistency, a certain Aura of like intellectual integrity, and it follows some of the standards that are necessary for uh, sort of academic respectability. If you're going to attempt to present this subject to that that group, and so that's one of the reasons why it's on my list because I wanted to have a cross section of a different type of of astrology book that is more at this point we're getting into. Um, this is number five, so this is on my. More advanced list of sort of beginner or intro to astrology books, but it. I wanted to have this on this list because I think there's certain types of people where some of these other books may not speak to them or or, or they might not find compelling, whereas this book might be more suited to their sort of temperament or their their background and training. Yes, yes, 
it's um it's cultural analysis it's philosophy but it's also cultural analysis which is um you know a, a genre kind of discipline that exists it's it's just cultural analysis that includes the planets i would say right yeah um there is a lot of that because it deals with um on the one hand it does deal with some natal astrology and some some birth charts and he shows some like compelling things from birth chart placements of like famous um, people in the past, but a large part of the work is actually focused on mundane astrology and focused on showing how different planetary alignments, for some reason, um, lined up or coincided very closely with important shifts in Western civilization and, and in shifts in sort of society in general. And one of the things I think that's made um, his work more compelling. In the long term, is that in some instances towards the end of the book, he took some of the historical cycles that he talked about in the past and talked about and showed how certain alignments of certain planets, like for example, the Saturn Pluto conjunction of the early 1980s coincided with the um, really explosion of the AIDS epidemic. Um, he projected some of that out into the future and he noted how there would be some of those alignments. That would happen again, of course, as all planetary alignments do on a long enough timeline, they would happen again in the future. And so he noted that, for example, there would be another Saturn Pluto conjunction um, around the uh, 2020 timeframe, which then, of course, ended up coinciding with the onset of the COVID pandemic as an interesting um, manifestation that was archetypally sort of similar to some of those previous alignments like the early 1980s one with the AIDS epidemic it's it's an intricate weaving of um of of detail and how um how the various um planetary movements conjunctions all of the vast ways that they that they that they intersect that's really fascinating and i was going to ask you if you happen to be aware of the archetypal explorer um I, I guess it's an app, or is it a um, a web page? It's it's something that I just um, kind of sub- subscribed to. Be- are you aware of it? Um, yeah, it's something I've been using for the past couple of years because it's what one of the things that happened is um, Tarnas's work ended up becoming um, very influential, and he he's had a number of like. Um, if not direct students, uh, different people that have followed his work and used that as the primary basis to create a sort of approach to astrology, which they generally refer to as archetypal astrology. And in some instances, there have been people that have pursued that study in an academic context in academia, like at certain schools like um, CIIS, the California Institute of Integral Studies, where there have been a number of people that have done um, Gotten like a master's or a PhD at this point, where they've integrated some similar lines of thought from Richard Tarnas's work, where they're bringing in some elements of astrology in an academic context. Um, anyway, I mentioned that because I, I believe um, the creator of Archetypal Explorer is one of those people who's followed and taken Tarnas's work and then um, applied it in his own. And he created a website where you can follow either your own. Transits and timing activations related to astrology, or you can study world transits and world cycles um, historically in a visual format using this website. Yeah. So, um, 
so yeah, I just discovered it and, and had to have it and, and use it every day. And I would say it's, um, very accessible, um, lovely graphics. Um, and, and I really, um, prefer it to some of the other things that I, that I have and look at it, um, definitely every day, both my, my personal, the me part and also the world part. Yeah, definitely. Um, I've been using it for the forecast episodes for the past year or two now because it has this really beautiful way of showing mm-hmm. um, transits and planetary alignments by plotting them on a graph and then showing the date of the exact alignment as like the peak in the graph, but then showing how when the planets move away from the exact alignment or, or aspect or configuration, there's different terms for it, that when they move away from that, there's sort of a drop in the graph. And it gives you this much more clear picture of um, the overlapping of the different planetary alignments that are happening at different points in time, sometimes simultaneously and sometimes spread out um, in different different periods of time. So yeah, that's super cool and it's super useful. I think he's integrated some delineations um, both from Cosmos and Psyche, as well as from other books that have been written in this sort of that same vein of archetypal astrology as a sort of school of thought. Right. You can um, you can click on the transits and then text appears. Um, and I, you know, it's got many many bells and whistles like this that are just so um, so unique and fun. And actually, I would say really good for um, maybe beginners, maybe. Um, intermediate learners, people, obviously you advanced, it's got something for everyone. And, Mm. um, as we just saw, it's, um, it has a very, um, very lovely visual design, Mm. um, that's, that, that I found, um, simple to pick up and, and, and use quickly. Yeah. So here, when you like click on a personal transit, it gives you a delineation from, Richard Tarnas and from his work. And then there's a new one that he's integrating from another archetypal astrologer who I, mm-hmm. I think studied with Tarnas at one point named Ren Butler in his book, The Archetypal Universe, mm-hmm. which is another book um, that provides delineations that are in the same vein in terms of interpreting them in terms of that school of modern astrology. Right. And in the the horoscope tab, you can take transits forward or um, backward in time. If you go where it says natal, go to transit. You can um, adjust the calendar forward or backward in time, which I I, I adore, and then still click on the um, the transit to kind of get the the reading below. Yeah, I, I love that. That's so important because transits and being able to one move a chart forward and backwards in time gives you a much better understanding of what's going on with astrology and what a chart actually represents and and the different cycles of time and the planets. But also um, transits in particular have always been one of the primary timing techniques, and ultimately it's one of the most compelling pieces of astrology is that it shows you when events happen and why there's certain events that happen during one part of the life rather than another. And it has to do with um, looking at where the planets are in the sky now relative to where they were in your birth chart. And that's that's basically the fundamental premise of transits. But that's actually the level that I'm excited that they're starting to become more public knowledge of, because that's actually, to me, always been the most compelling point in astrology. It's not just reading birth chart interpretations, which can be somewhat subjective about like, is this true? Is this not true? Is this 
confirmation bias or something like that, that I'm like making this fit. When you look at transits and timing and you start looking at the events in a person's life and what the planetary alignments were and how they related to the birth chart on the date that a very crucial event or a turning point happened in a person's life, and you see that a symbolically appropriate transit happened very closely or exactly at the same time as that event happened, that's when astrology starts getting um, really impressive and really spooky because you start seeing that it actually works in a way that that shouldn't be possible or or that we're you wouldn't normally think like that should work, but for some reason it does. It must have to be um, just kind of maybe a conventional trajectory for any person who enters astrology and who um, who gets into into it that they eventually discover um, time after time that it does work and it does um, make sense. And that's again another kind of like portal that you have to go through and grapple with. How could this be, and why? If if you want to. Um, but it, if anyone does start seriously, I would recommend to start um, to start doing um, a diary because that helps. And I'm a person who had been um, a kind of fanatic diarist and also a fanatic kind of um, keeper of dated objects, like every paper I ever wrote all through school and all of this other kind of stuff. And um, those, um, I guess, artifacts really helped me um, put together um the my my own timeline to make sense of things and also i happen to be um i happen to be 51 so i have quite a long um trajectory of life um in, in order to make sense of all of these other kinds of major major things that would have been would have been happening that i really um appreciate and love coming coming to um astrology at this point i think that i might have been um far too neurotic um, having to enter into it in my tw- in my 20s and see what was coming because many times I've been like um I know that I'm okay and I see the things that I'm that I'm analyzing that I've already went through and making sense of what did happen and that I did in fact survive so um yeah it's 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 again I just um astrology I recommend it yeah it's it's tricky because when you're looking at your chart as when you're younger or if you're an astrologer and you do a consultation with somebody that's younger, let's say in their like teens or twenties, um, there's so many events in their life that haven't happened yet that may be indicated by the birth chart, but because they haven't happened yet, if you say that to the person, it may not resonate or connect with them because it simply hasn't been the case so far. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it won't at some point in the future. Mm-hmm. So that is a, a tricky thing that I, I've wrestled with and complained about in many podcast episodes over the years is that aspect of things. Uh, I Yeah, there's lots of funny anecdotes. I have a funny recurring joke that my partner and I talk about sometimes when she's on the podcast about reading her chart and like making some statement about a few placements like very early on when we met within the first month or two, not in a consultation, but it just in a, a friends looking at each other's chart, getting to know you type sense. And she was just very blunt about being like, no, that's not true. Or that doesn't match my life at all. But then later in subsequent decades, um, quite inadvertently, some of those placements like working out perfectly. And it's a funny recurring joke between the two of us. Um, about how that works out sometimes. Yeah, I it it might be my um I guess working philosophy that if I don't see it, um it's just because I haven't discovered the way to see it yet. 
yeah, there's definitely a certain amount of humbleness that's kind of necessary when you you approach astrology because you're dealing with something that's so incredibly complex that would have to be in order if it truly is a system that can describe the intricacies of human life that you have to approach it with a certain amount of humbleness that some people with certain mindset may not be accustomed to and I think that's why sometimes if a person is approaching it from more of a, a purely sort of dogmatic skeptical mindset could be easy to reject it out of hand without truly having investigated it hardly at all because if you're approaching it with a certain sort of mindset you might not be open to understanding how it is actually working um, in some ways even if it appears in, in some sense initially that perhaps it's not yeah I guess maybe I it, it it's occurred to me that as we get um, up to the advanced section of the books that you're recommending, that um, now you're kind of revealing that um, you know it is all of these really serious topics with a history and um, that are that can be laid out with with graphs and visuals and things that we can comprehend and understand. But at some point, there is um, a, a liftoff where it it can only um, kind of take you into a, a whole different. Um, realm of of thinking as you discover um the legitimacy that you've spent you've spent so much time as a student not you but everybody to kind of gather the tools and learn the language and then once it starts being put to use is when um things really shift and there's there's just no avoiding it i think yeah and one of the fundamental issues that tarnus deals with and addresses and tries to wrestle with that is the reason why his book is on the list and is important and is an important step for every astrologer is that he deals with the broader philosophical and cosmological questions of you know okay if astrology is a legitimate phenomenon of some sort that does exist in the universe what does that mean and what is the nature of the cosmos if that is true because then it becomes an issue of we then need to construct a new cosmology um, that takes into account astrology and what would it look like to attempt to construct a cosmology in modern times that took into account all of the the scientific and philosophical and and um, other types of advancements that have happened over the past several centuries um, but also made room for astrology and integrated astrology so that it, it creates a sort of grand unified system of some sort. Um, there have been different versions of that in the past that astrologers, uh, you know, going back to like the second century with Claudius Ptolemy, have attempted to do at different points, which is basically taking astrology as legitimate phenomenon and then contextualizing it within the context of whatever the prevailing scientific paradigm was at the time. Um, but it's been a long time since anybody pulled that off and, and came up with a grand unified theory that. Um, had some place for astrology in it. So it's one of the things that Tarnas tried to do, and it's one of the things that's the most admirable and important about his book in modern times is um, you know, maybe going further than anybody else that I've seen uh, in modern times and actually pulling that off. Yeah, it's in that sense what what a great recommendation um as it as it illustrates um, all of the concepts that you were just talking about, that it's kind of a um, a pulling together and an imagining of what uh, 
you know, an integration of astrology would would look like and also what it can do. Yeah, because once you actually get into astrology and you get to the intermediate and the advanced levels, it becomes not just an issue of, you know, how do I interpret my birth chart? Um, how do I use these different timing techniques? Um, how do I read other people's birth charts? It becomes a broader thing about what are the philosophical issues that astrology raises um, once you realize that it's a legitimate phenomenon, and how do I adjust my worldview to make some room for that um, in terms of other broader issues related to things like fate and free will and um, determinism and different things like that? Yes. Yeah, so that that is why that book is on my list. It's a very thick book. Um, some people, many people, don't necessarily finish it all the way to the end um, because it goes into a lot of really detailed historical studies and things like that. But as long as you read, especially the first third or half of the book, there's a lot of information that's just packed in there that's super important. I did want to show a slide from a recent episode I did on the planet Saturn where I used an excerpt from um, Richard Tarnas's description of Saturn just to give you a taste of what I was talking about when I was talking about his approach to astrology being archetypal and talking about the many different manifestations of certain things like a planet in order to access the overarching like umbrella concept. So this is a passage from Cosmos and Psyche, 2006. That's the publication date, not 2005. So he says, Saturn is or represents the principle of limit, structure, contraction, constraint, necessity, hard materiality, concrete manifestation, time, the past, tradition, age, maturity, mortality, the endings of things, gravity and gravitas, weightiness, that which burdens, binds, challenges, fortifies, deepens, the tendency to confine and constrict, to separate, to divide and define, to cut and shorten, to negate and oppose, to strengthen and forge through tension and resistance, to rigidify, to repress, to maintain a conservative and strict authority, to experience difficulty, decline, deprivation, defect, and deficit, defeat, failure, loss, alienation, the labor of existence, suffering, old age, death, the weight of the past, the workings of fate, character, karma, the consequences of past action, error and guilt, punishment, retribution, imprisonment, the sense of no exit, pessimism, inferiority, inhibition, isolation, oppression, and depression, the impulse and capacity for discipline and duty, order, solitude, concentration, conciseness, thoroughness and precision, discrimination and objectivity, restraint and patience, endurance, responsibility, seriousness, authority, wisdom, the harvest of time, effort and experience, the concern with consensus reality, factual correctness, conventional forms and structures, foundations, boundaries, solidity and stability, security and control, rational organization, efficiency, law, right and wrong, judgment, the superego, the dark, cold, heavy, dense, dry, old, slow, distant, the Senex, Kronos, the stern father of the gods. So that is his paragraph on Saturn, and that is a taste of, on the one hand, you know, him trying to describe 
an overarching concept through its just many, many different manifestations. But through that, you start to understand the overarching, almost transcendent concept that cannot be described in just one word on its own because that transcendent concept has innumerable different manifestations, but there's a similar underlying meaning there that is somehow still consistent, even though it has so many different variations. I'm so glad you shared that because because that gives that gives a taste of what I've been trying to to describe about um the uses of the meanings of the language once you get get to know them. And that list perfectly illustrates um the vastness, but the, at the same time it's it's pulled together and can be collected under a specific kind of umbrella. It also gives um people people who would be um watching this and looking for um the books to read, it gives them a sense of the options that are that are there to pull that makes sense that, that makes sense for your for you. Um and you know, I guess as an aside as you were reading that, I have a I have a somehow a soft spot for Saturn. I just I I love I love Saturn in it. Um there was a kind of almost um poetry or glee as you were as you were going through it and I with each word think of how um how I know it, how I know this either archetype or or, or planet or however I or anyone else is going to conceptualize it. Um that it it really is um a vast force that's um that's as you can see in the in the listing of the words in the language that is um conceptual but that also um can be very deeply personal in in a lot of different ways that might even be sensory or or textual um different than um just kind of like knowing a basic meaning so i think that's a great illustration of the kinds of knowledge and um you know, maybe opportunities and ways to to use this this book. Yeah, for sure. And even though I described this initially as like a the highest form of modern astrology in some sense or highest expression, um, Tarnas is well read enough and is good enough of an academic that he he more than other modern astrologers would have done a literature review and did have a. a Understanding of like the long history of the treatment of some of that that planet and its different archetypal manifestations and how it's been treated historically than most modern astrologers had, and so for that reason, his paragraph on Saturn actually does represent a very um, nice sort of blend of some modern and some traditional views on what that planet signifies. Um, so that's a very sort of useful part of his work as well. At the same time. Yeah, so that's Cosmos and Psyche. Um, it's not going to be for everyone, but it's a good book to wrestle with and try to tackle if you can at some point relatively early in your studies because um, he also gives just a very good treatment of the outer planets, maybe more so than any other book on this list, uh, the planets Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto, by looking at some of their historical alignments. And through that, I think it's a good uh, it will expose you very early on to a, a very good treatment of that that is not necessarily it, it's also not overly um new agey or sort of like spiritual in its orientation, which can be some modern astrologer's orientation um but for him it's not it doesn't necessarily have that backdrop per se, which is no. kind of an important point yeah, not at all it it feels very um like a kind of academic cultural analysis to me. Right. Yeah. And I, and I think that'll just speak to some people that have that kind of background or 
that sort of academic training or, or interest or an affinity for that approach um, more than some of the other books on the list. Okay, so that brings us, I think, to the final book on my list. And we had a little discussion about this when we first were talking about doing this. And you were asking me, and I think encouraging me to mention my own book, right? Yeah, um, it's 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 one of the. Um, I mean, I knew that I would be asking um, astrology experts, but this is one of the books that I felt would be um, would be essential for for this list. And the other one, I think, I, I think you mentioned Alice Sparkly Cat earlier. We're not going to talk about that one, but the other one is post colonial astrology, and then Hellen- Hellenistic astrology study of. I don't want to get the title wrong. The study of fate and fortune. But I, I just want to show off my own copy. Now, this is not one that I read like a novel. This is one that I um that I I take notes on and, and actually literally study for sure. Yeah, it is not <laughs> light bedtime reading. And I usually, when it first came out, I would advise people not to read it in bed vertically because you drop it on your head, like you will end up with a serious concussion because it's like a 700 page tome. Um yeah, so number six on the list is, uh, even though I feel it's a little weird, it might be a little tacky. Recommending one's own book. No, I, I I insisted. So so this is this is me. It's not tacky at all. I I think that this this definitely needs to be here. Okay, so book six on our list, especially once we get to the more advanced section of the last two books, is titled Hellenistic Astrology: The Study of Fate and Fortune by Chris Brennan, which was published. On February tenth, uh, twenty seventeen, and um, in this book, I spent um, ten years studying this ancient tradition of astrology from two thousand years ago, and going back and trying to reconstruct what the origins of Western astrology were. Uh, and I had a funny story with that, where I learned astrology starting in nineteen ninety nine and two thousand, and I was still in high school, and I quickly. Um, Started like, like found that this was my passion, and started studying astrology books like way more than I was studying the books I should have been studying while I was still in high school. And I didn't think that I could actually pursue it in college because I realized that astrology was not seen as a legitimate subject to study in academia. So, for a period of time, I actually dropped out in order to pursue my studies of astrology because I realized that that's what I wanted to do with my life and. Um, during that year that I took off of high school, at one point my uh, mom was searching around online and she found this new college called Kepler College, which had recently opened up in Seattle and had recently gained state authorization to issue um, associates and bachelor's and master deg- degrees in astrological studies. And I ended up being like really surprised and really excited, and I went back to school. Got my high school diploma so I could get into Kepler College, and I went there with the express um, goal of learning modern astrology because that was my background and training up to that point for four years of my astrological studies and of self-study of reading every contemporary astrology book, especially ones published in the 1980s and 1990s and early 2000s that I could get my hands on at that point. So. Um, I wanted to study modern astrology and what that meant was contemporary late 20th century astrology that incorporated the outer planets and all of the recent innovations and things that seemed like necessary components in order to like practice astrology in modern times. And I went through the first year, which was largely learning about the history of astrology, which is kind of interesting from an 
intellectual standpoint, but had no, not a lot of practical usefulness for me. And I got to the second year, and midway through the second year, they uh, forced me to take an introduction to something called Hellenistic astrology and an introduction simultaneously to uh, something called Vedic astrology or Indian astrology. And um, I actually protested and I tried to get out of it, but they said, you know, it's tough. This is the only track that we have because I was supposed to be able to branch off and study psychological astrology in the second year at that point. But by the time I got there, that track was not ready yet. All they had was this other track where you had to start by comparing ancient Western astrology to ancient Indian astrology because there was actually a lot of parallels between them. So I reluctantly started studying and taking this course with Dimitra George, who was teaching this course on Hellenistic astrology with Dennis Harness, who was teaching the Vedic or the Indian component. And very quickly, within a matter of like two or three weeks, I immediately fell in love with it. And I found through um, reading translations of some of the ancient texts from Greek and Latin that were prepared by Robert Schmidt of the Project Hindsight Translation Project, um, together with some of Dimitra George's study notes and lessons that were meant to go along with and add commentary and to sort of like guide you into studying some of these ancient texts, I very quickly realized that there was a lot of very useful information in studying the ancient astrological texts and that my my preconceptions about this whole practice were completely wrong and that it wasn't completely like outdated and no longer useful and all these other things. But in fact, there were a number of techniques from ancient astrology that simply hadn't been transmitted to us over the past 2,000 years because the history of astrology was so long and checkered, and it turned out that there was a bunch of useful stuff that was lying in some of these ancient texts just waiting to be re recovered as soon as we could translate and understand what they were saying. So I quickly got into it, I passed that course, and I ended up moving within a few months later that year to study at a translation project at Project Hindsight where they were translating a bunch of these texts. And I, I studied there for two years. And while I was there, I realized even though some of these texts had been available since the early 1990s, most astrologers weren't reading those translations and they weren't understanding them because nobody had written a sort of primer or an introduction to ancient Hellenistic astrology at that point, and that that was really necessary before this material was going to have the sort of impact that it should be having on contemporary astrology up to that point. Because when I looked around in 2005, 2006, 2007, I was shocked that other people weren't integrating some of these new techniques that I was finding, like the concept of whole sign houses or the concept of sect, which is the distinction between day and night charts, which is such a crucial distinction in ancient astrology but had completely fallen out by the time of modern astrology. Um, or even some of the advanced timing techniques like annual perfections or zodiac releasing. And I decided um, in 2006 and 2007 that I needed to start writing a book to give an overview of this tradition. That way um, I could both reconstruct the history and philosophy, but also give an overview of this entire system as it was originally practiced 2,000 years ago, starting in about the first century BCE. So I set out to write the book. It took me ten years, and it was eventually published in in twenty seventeen. Um, yeah, I I find it um, essential. I don't. I'm not sure how 
how um how else to say it um maybe you can describe um as we we've kind of laid out how we're how we're moving from kind of the beginner concepts the beginner books and kind of like moving upward can you describe how it um how it takes us um deeper or kind of um elongates or enriches enriches the other astrological topics that we might be familiar with at this point or or maybe a better question is why am i calling it essential yeah well so one of the things the reason why it's essential and one of the things you have to understand about why hellenistic astrology is important and why it's actually only recently become popular over the course of the past few years or the past decade maybe is because it was the last part of the tradition that was recently dug up um, during the course of the traditional revival over the past 30 years. So what happened is that starting in the 1980s, there were some astrologers, especially in the UK, that went back and started looking at older texts. But what they did is they went back as far as they could and found the earliest English language texts that they could. And when they did that, the furthest they could get in English was about the middle of the 17th century. And there was one very influential text. The very first major textbook on astrology that was written in English was the book titled Christian Astrology by William, William Lilly, which was published in 1647. So starting in the 1980s, there was a whole school of astrologers that got excited about what we call now Renaissance astrology, or what some I call Renaissance astrology, um, which is roughly like 17th century astrology. Um, but the issue is that that 17th century astrology was the very tail end of a tradition that had started 1700 years before that. So first, um, contemporary astrologers in the 1980s started putting Renaissance astrology into practice again. And that was the initial revival of traditional astrology. Then after that, there were some astrologers that went back a little bit further, and they started getting translations of texts from Latin and Arabic from the medieval period, from roughly the 8th century CE through the 12th or 13th century CE. And so the second tradition that was dug up was the revival of medieval astrology. And then that became somewhat popular, and that's what you'll see represented by astrologers like Robert Zoller, or by, um, for example, Helena Avalar and Luis Ribeiro's book, is more centered on medieval and Renaissance astrology, I would say. So they focus on that middle and that later part of the tradition. But then eventually what happened is um, there was one more piece of the tradition to be dug up, which is basically the earliest part of the tradition, which was what we call Hellenistic astrology, which started in Egypt around the first century BCE and then was practiced um, basically during the height of the Roman Empire all the way until about the sixth or seventh century CE. So it roughly coincides with the, the Roman Empire when, we, when we're talking about Hellenistic astrology. We just call it Hellenistic astrology because it originated in the Hellenistic period in the first century BCE. Um, so why this is important is it turns out that most of the basic techniques of Western astrology that astrologers have been using for the past 2,000 years when it comes to that fourfold system of planets, signs, houses, and aspects, most of that system was introduced relatively um, quickly all at once around the first century BCE in a series of texts where 
um, some different traditions of astrology from Mesopotamia and from Egypt uh, were merged and synthesized together with some other contemporary traditions at the time that were present in the Mediterranean from the Greeks and the Romans and um, other cultures. And it created this new tradition of astrology, which we call Hellenistic astrology in the first century BCE. But that was basically the birth of the entire tradition of Western astrology that's then flourished over the past 2,000 years. So by studying Hellenistic astrology, we're going back to the original source of the entirety of the Western astrological tradition and finding the reason why we have many of the concepts that are taken for granted by astrologers today in modern times, but that they've long since forgotten the origins of because they're buried in just um, over 2,000 years of history. And what would happen is that um, there was the rise and fall of many different civilizations and empires over the past 2,000 years, and astrology would be transmitted periodically every few centuries to new cultures and to new languages. But every time it was transmitted and translated into a new language, um, there were some things that were lost and there were other things that were added. Um, because it was basically like a long 2,000 year long game of telephone. Like, you know, that game, I don't know, different people call it different things, but when like children like sit in a circle and one person at the beginning of the circle whispers um, something into the ear of the next person next to them, and the person after that whispers the same thing into the next person's ear. And by the time it goes all the way around the circle and comes out the other end, oftentimes the message is quite different than what it started as. That's kind of the difference between where astrology started in the first century BCE versus where it ended up in the early 21st century by, let's say, the year 2000 or something. So part of the goal with this text is to go back to the very beginning and, and look at astrology through translations of ancient texts and recover what astrology was originally as a system 2,000 years ago. And I wanted to provide, I wanted to write a book that would be a comprehensive survey, an overview of that original tradition so that people could learn it uh, and, and get a sort of uh, summary of it without necessarily reading the text themselves. But instead, it would give you sort of a guide to what are the major texts that survive, what are the techniques that they use, and how can some of those techniques be used in practice today. By presenting over like a hundred example charts in the second half of the book, mm -hmm. and it's it's incredibly uh, thorough, incredibly well well researched, very clear in the way that it's laid out in terms of um, the history and the history of these texts, as you just described. Um, but it also gives um, an overview of techniques that are. Um, you, you know that that are extremely useful. That I think it's important, um, um, at, at least for me, to have an understanding of how to use these techniques. As in, in addition to um, to where they come, where they come from, or how they derive. So, um, I mean, I was thinking, do you want to talk about some of the techniques that are that are that that you that you go over? I mean, there's there's so many that just kind of pulled it all together for me um, in terms of this language that we that we started out talking about and how I might utilize it um, and adding so much kind of complexity and nuance or um, 
these kind of prismatic aspects, I would say, all of these other dimensions of the ways that that the planets operate, the ways that the chart um, enacts. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to present an overview of basically everything, and that was always my goal writing the book was some people suggested that I break it into different volumes because it was so massive, but I always had this vision of, of, no, I want to cover everything in one book, even if it's a very large book. So the first five chapters are like an overview of the history of Western astrology from its ancient origins to the creation of Hellenistic astrology and, and the transmission of parts of that system into modern times so you know how we got how astrology got to where it is today. Then the six chapters um, dealing with some topics uh, related to the philosophy of ancient astrology and especially the debates about fate versus free will and the mechanism of astrology and re- whether it works through signs or as ca- through the planets causing events to happen as opposed to just signifying them. And then um, the technical part of the book is loosely broken into three parts. One is the next four chapters deal with basic concepts and all of the basic things that you need to know about the fourfold system of the planets and a whole chapter on the planets and what they mean and different techniques associated with them, including the technique known as sect or the distinction between day and night charts. Um, then I go into the signs of the zodiac and their original meanings and different things like the rulership um, system and what the conceptual motivation for the rulership system was and why certain planets are associated with or are said to rule certain signs of the zodiac. Uh, then I go into the concept of aspects, which is configurations or relationships between planets, and I show how that evolved partially out of ancient optical theories and different notions about what it takes for planets to have a relationship with each other versus not having a relationship. Um, and then eventually I go into the system of the 12 houses and where we get the significations of each of the 12 houses from and what the houses originally meant and, and why they meant those things. Um, so after that, I start getting into intermediate concepts, which is bringing all of those pieces together and how to synthesize them by looking at things like the ruler of the ascendant and how that indicates um, part of the native's overall direction in life. And then getting into other concepts like the rulers of other houses, which shows interactions between different parts of the life, like when the ruler of the seventh house of relationships is in the tenth house of career. Um, and then finally, I get into more advanced concepts like the bonification and maltreatment conditions, which is determining um, how the planets are functioning in the chart <clears throat> and whether they're functioning in a way that's working out constructively or whether it's working out in a way that's in some ways disadvantageous to the native or some parts of their life. Uh, then eventually I get into advanced timing techniques, which um, the ancient astrologers had this conceptualization that not all parts of the chart are activated at all times, but instead some parts are lying there dormant or sort of latent until they're activated using some of these um, advanced timing techniques known as time lord systems. So I introduce the two most powerful and sort of compelling Time Lord systems that I found in the ancient texts. One of them is called Annual Perfections, and that especially shows you how to determine the planet that is activated as the ruler of the year so that its transits will be more important. And then I get into a much more exotic and complex Time Lord technique called Zodiac Releasing, which can show, among other things, different peak periods or periods of heightened importance and activity in a person's life within the context of their career and their overall life's work. 
And that's where all of the techniques come together into one very advanced technique. But the things that that technique can do are things that I had never encountered before in modern astrology. And some of the like philosophical implications were just really astounding once you see what it's capable of. Yeah, I, I agree. It's um, I thank you. Uh, it's it, it's so nice to um, to come into the topic with something like this already written and already and, and already there. And I would just offer my recommendation that it is um, that it is so so clear. You've laid it out so clearly. Um, that doesn't mean that I I didn't have to be very very careful and I would say like studious as I went through very very carefully, um, and still I um, um, what did you call zodiacal? What was the description that you just used to describe zodiacal releasing? Exotic, maybe? exotic, yes, yeah. um, yes, exotic, mind blowing, um, complicated and in, in intense, but but. All of these topics very much um, worth it, and things that really um, have enriched my my understanding. And again, so this is a very complicated book. This is a very thick book. This is a very vast book. Um, but but I would describe it also as 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 accessible. Um, you need to have the foundation, and then you come to it, and um, it will I'd say enliven and enrich um, any astrological. Um, Student or aficionado or enthusiast, enthusiast, um, anyone um, with a passion for the topic, this is um, this is essential, and because it is the um, kind of roadmap or way to get to those really wow wow moments um, that are that are complicated, but that we can understand, and then then give us a whole different sense of our own life and you know the cosmos, as you were saying. Yeah, and. Part of the reason I wrote the book is basically I wanted to write the book that I wish that I had when I started studying ancient astrology, but that didn't exist and that I knew that there was a need for. And I sort of looked around and there was nobody else that was going to do it anytime in the near future. So it was it was something I took on as a 10-year project in my life. Um, but that's the reason why I can sort of justify the almost like navel-gazing of recommending my own book on this list. And it's because um, it's a book that was necessary in order to truly understand what Western astrology is and where it came from and what it's capable of. And that's why it's important, but it's also somewhat advanced. Um, one of the things, though, in terms of the writing is because I wrote it over like a 10 year period of my life, one of the things that was funny is by the time I was getting to the later parts of that project, my, um, my voice in how I wrote and expressed myself had gone through different changes and it changed so much over the years. And I'd learned how to write better over the years, both from writing academic articles, but also from writing um, blog articles from years and learning how to convey things more concisely and in a way that was more understandable, um, as well as through teaching. I had been teaching an online course on Hellenistic astrology for years up to this point, so that in the final year, I actually um, took a year off. I saved up a bunch of money as much as I could, and I took a year off from doing consultations. And I started over, and I started the manuscript of the book over from scratch and rewrote it from scratch in order to adopt a more consistent tone throughout the book. And that's one of the reasons why, even though it's a very dense book, um, I think people 
like it because it's still understandable and it's still approachable, and you can like sit and read and understand it. Um, you know, so that's one major piece of it. That being said, it's written as a book that's not just a book you read through once, but it's something that you're meant to be able to come back to for years and find something new each time because your understanding of the system and of the tradition will grow and develop. And there'll be some things that you'll read the first time that you'll come back to and you'll have a different appreciation of even like years later. Um, and that was like a sort of deliberate thing that I did with the book at the same time. Oh, that that's great. And you you perfectly described the way that that I happen to have been been utilizing it of going going through um carefully, then then going back, then making notes, then double checking, um and 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 all of that kind of thing. And so um again, I'll just say um um how how generous to write to write the book that you wish that you had. Um, it really is, it really is a gift to those of us who are who are coming along to the topic afterwards to have it all laid out together in one tome like this. Um, yeah. Yeah. So thank you. And, and yeah, it's good. And don't feel bad about recommending it. It's, it's, okay. it's, <laughs> that's what, that's what, that's what started this whole, this whole thing. I sure. want, I want I this book on the list. So. No, I don't, I don't feel too bad. I just want to, you know, preface it with that. I feel a little bad. I'm going to have a, a slight um, modicum of humility, <laughs> but uh, I do otherwise think it deserves to be on yeah. this list because I think it also rounds out, if you have this book along with the other five books that I recommended, um, it gives you a complete overview, uh, as good of an overview as you're going to get for starting out your studies of a complete overview of what Western astrology is and its history and philosophy and techniques. And so it, it fills a very useful role in terms of that as the, the last major book that I wanted to recommend on this list. Um, so I did have two, uh, just a very brief shout out, like uh, um, honorable mentions, if that's all right, if I, could, if I could slide them in very quickly. Oh, of course. Absolutely. Okay. So my um, quick mention I wanted to have is uh, James Holden's book, A History of Horoscopic Astrology, which was published, I believe, in 1996. And this is my favorite book on the history of astrology that gives an overview of the past three or 4,000 years of Western astrology in a relatively concise, like 350-page book. And it does this almost through like a literary approach by primarily focusing on who were the major astrologers that you need to know about in each time period or each era. So it's a really cool way to learn about the history of astrology. It's the best book on the history of astrology, or at least it's my favorite. There's other books on the history of astrology out there that are also good. But if you want to learn about the history of astrology especially, I would recommend getting a copy of this book um, just because it does an excellent job of giving you a broad overview by um, James Holden was an astrologer who passed away um, in the early part of the last decade, and he was initially like a classic scholar, and he had a gift for languages, and he could read um, and understand a bunch of different languages. And as a result of that, he could read a lot of these texts in their original language, and he spent like fifty or sixty years of his life. Um, just studying the history of astrology until eventually in 1996, he wrote this masterful book on the topic, which still even, uh, what, almost 20, 30 years later is still probably the best book on the history of astrology that I know about today. Oh, wow. Cool. 
Yeah, so that's one book. It's gone through a few different editions at this point, but any of the editions are fine. Um, and then finally, the last book is titled "The American Ephemeris: uh, 2050 to 20, sorry, 1950 to 2050 at Noon Trans Century Edition." So there's the book. The authors are Neil F. Mickelson and Rick Pottinger. Um, so this book is unlike our other books. It's actually a book of planetary positions, which you can use in order to look up where the planets were at any point in the past, where they will be at any point in the future, or where they are right now in the present on the current day. It basically is a table that shows you um, at the start of every day of the year what sign of the zodiac and what degree of the zodiac each of the planets was located in at the beginning of that day. So it's a really helpful um, starting point for learning about timing and how the planets move so that you can study them in terms of the timing technique of transits, as well as other timing techniques like secondary progressions. Tell me why you recommend this um, as opposed to, um, do I have this ability in my, in my software already? Yeah, actually, I guess technically the software basically it has an ephemeris programmed into it so that when you move, for example, in Archetypal Explorer, you move the chart forward or backwards, it's basically presenting the same function. Um, what's nice about the ephemeris, and, and I, I guess I'm a little old school in this way, is just it presents all of the data that you can see at once at a glance, and you can flip through so that you can move forward or backwards and look at where the planets are or where they will be at any point in the, the past or the future just uh, with a few turns of the page. So I think it just gives you a much easier access point for an overview of looking at planetary positions, and you start to get a much better sense of how the planets move in that way that I think is a useful alternative access point in addition to just calculating them in charts using software. Okay, thanks. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I'm going to check that out. Um, I, I think it's one of the things I was always grateful for. Oh, I don't have to do it the old-fashioned way because the software already does it. But but you're you're right. I think it's I'd probably find it very worth it to go back and learn how to do it this way and have it. Um, you know, there's something to be said for holding it too, holding it, running my fingers along, and seeing what's going on. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big I'm I'm not like too curmudgeonly about it, but I'm a big like print book fan, and I definitely designed even though there's a, a Google Books version of my book, an ebook version of my book, I designed it to be read in print. And there's something about you know a print book that is different in terms of its experience of like reading it. Um, not that you can't get most of that or or have a different relationship with books by reading ebooks, which can be just as good. Um, but especially with the print ephemeris, like a lot of astrologers that I talk to, um, feel like it feels like it gives you a different access point into understanding the movements of the planets and especially understanding planetary transits. Okay. Yeah. So when it comes to an ephemeris, um, I did an episode a few months ago with Patrick Watson. It was episode 304 titled How to Read an Ephemeris, where we sort of go through and just show you like what an ephemeris is and how to use it, which is kind of useful if you do end up getting one of these. This is basically what an ephemeris is. It's just one of these books of planetary tables and just a list of data of the planetary movements through the signs of the zodiac. But it's hard to explain before you get one why it is useful, but I would just recommend that people do pick one up at some point relatively early in their studies. 
uh, I've never had anybody that was like resentful or was like, I can't believe you made me buy an ephemeris and like, you know, sent me hate mail afterwards. Everyone's always been like, okay, yeah, that was actually really useful, even though I didn't understand how it could be as just a as a book of of tables like that. Once you get into timing techniques with astrology, especially transits, you really start to understand how valuable it is to read the ephemeris and 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 develop a, an ability to flip through it easily and and read the information that you're looking at. Oh, nice. I I mean, I'm. I'm sure I would need to look at the episode that you just recommended to kind of um take take me through but um but yeah it's it's it also sounds fascinating so thank you. Yeah. So I think that's it in terms of my list of like my top astrology books. This is my current list and thanks for this opportunity to do this and thanks for like do having this very surprisingly uh, unplanned impromptu and long astrology conversation. I guess if you were a, a Listener of the podcast, or if you've listened to previous episodes, you kind of like maybe you, you thought this was going to be a twenty-five minute discussion, but uh, I mean, you you weren't aren't completely like, caught off guard. But now you understand how it happens. I, I was caught off guard. I can say that okay. I'm I'm so glad that I didn't know, or I um would have been too nervous to to go forward. But I kind of realized, oh well, we're gonna take we're gonna take our time, as I was already in the midst of it. So I just kind of was able to go with the flow. Okay. And, and well, it was thank and you. it was um it was really fascinating and wonderful to talk to you. And um, you know, the the list is going to be um a very trunk, very, very truncated um version of of this conversation, but that will also be so um so useful for anyone who takes a look. And I, I hope this this conversation, wherever it, it, it ends up, um, you know, is is really useful for folks as well. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to have this discussion and to Sort of update and revise um, a list that I've put out with some of these books in the past, uh, but that I'd been looking for an opportunity to do like a revised one that was up to date as of 2021 in terms of my current top picks for like the best astrology books for beginners. So thanks for that opportunity. My pleasure. All right. Well, good luck with the article. Um, I'll put a link to it once it's out below the description for this episode. And uh, I look forward to seeing. Um, that article and, and some of the others that you're working on. So thanks a lot for joining me. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks everyone for listening to this episode of the Astrology Podcast or whatever this episode ends up being, and we'll see you again next time. Special thanks to all the patrons that supported the production of this episode of the podcast through our page on patreon.com. In particular, thanks to the patrons on our producers tier, including Nate Craddock, Thomas Miller, Catherine Conroy, Christy Moe, Ariana Amour, Mandy Ray, Angelique Nambo, Sumo Kopic, Issa Sabah, Jake Otero, Morgan McKinsey, and Kristen Otero. If you like the work that I'm doing here on the podcast and you would like to find a way to support it, then please consider becoming a patron through my page on patreon.com. And in exchange, you'll get access to bonus content such as early access to new episodes, the ability to attend the live recording of the month ahead forecast each month, access to a private monthly auspicious elections report that we put out each month, access to exclusive episodes that are only available for patrons, or you can also get your name listed in the credits at the end of each episode. For more information, go to patreon.com slash astrologypodcast. The main software we use here on the podcast to look at astrological charts is called SolarFire for Windows, which is available at alabe.com and you can use the promo code AP15 to get a 15% discount. 
For Mac users, we use a similar set of software by the same programming team called AstroGold for Mac OS, which is available from astrogold.io, and you can use the promo code ASTROPODCAST15 to get a 15% discount on that as well. If you would like to learn more about the approach to astrology that I outline on the podcast, then you should check out my book titled Hellenistic Astrology, The Study of Fate and Fortune, where I traced the origins of Western astrology and reconstructed the original system that was developed about 2,000 years ago. And in this book, I outline basic concepts, but also take you into intermediate and advanced techniques for reading a birth chart, including some timing techniques. So you can find out more about the book at hellenisticastrology.com book. The book pairs very well with my online course on ancient astrology called the Hellenistic Astrology Course, which has over 100 hours of video lectures where I go into detail about teaching you how to read a birth chart and showing hundreds of example charts in order to really demonstrate how the techniques work in practice. So find out more information about that at theastrologyschool.com. And finally, special thanks to our sponsors, including the Mountain Astrologer magazine, which is available at mountainastrologer.com, the Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanacs, available at honeycomb.co, the Portland School of Astrology at portlandastrology.org, and the AstroGold Astrology app, which is available for iPhone and Android. You can find out more information about that at astrogold.io.